0: Hello, my name is Chiara Giorgetti and I am Professor of Law at Richmond Law School and a Senior Fellow at the International Claims and Reparations Centre at Columbia Law School. Welcome to the fourth and final lecture of this mini-series on international investment law. In the first lecture, I introduced IIL and situated it in the larger context of public international law and then explored introductory key concepts including the definition of foreign investor and of foreign investment. In Lecture 2, I explore the main substantive principles that characterize IIL, including the provision related to expropriation and FET. In my third lecture, I then focus on the unique dispute settlement features of IIL, International Investment Arbitration, or Investor-State Dispute Settlement, ISDS. In my fourth and final lecture, I will discuss some of the criticism that IIL and ISDS are facing and some of the ongoing reform processes that have resulted thereof. As I said in my third lecture, IIA offers unique and quite remarkable characteristics. In investor dispute settlement, the parties are on one side a claimant, the foreign investor, and on the other side, the respondent, the host state, in relation to foreign investment made by the claimant, and specifically whether the state has violated any of the protections it owed to the claimant. I have examined what are foreign investors and what are foreign investments in lecture one, and focus on ISDS in lecture 3. The home state is not a party in ISDS proceedings, though it is party to the BIT under which the arbitration is brought. In terms of applicable procedural rules, most BITs specify either ICSID or UNCITRAL rules, while almost all investor state arbitration are supported either by ICSID or by the PCA as arbitration institutions. Some are also heard at the SEC, ICC, and LCIA. ISDS has become increasingly successful. ISDS has become increasingly successful. There has really been almost an exponential increase in cases in the last decade. Data published by UNCTAD shows that a total of, nine, of over a, a thousand cases exist as of the end of 2021. And as of June 30, 2022, ICSID data shows that it had registered 888 cases under the ICSID Convention and Additional Facility Rules. In 2022, more than 350 total cases are administered by the ICSID secretariat under ICSID and non-ICSID rules. ICSID registered 12 cases in 2000 and 66 in 2021. However, ISDS has also been increasingly criticized, and some have said that we are now witnessing a backlash towards international investment arbitration. There are three main reasons critics highlight. First a lack of consistency, coherence, and correctness of arbitral awards. Second, issues related to costs and duration of the international arbitration process, including concerns related to the length, cost recovery, and frivolous claims. And third, issues related to the lack of impartiality, conflicts of interest, and lack of diversity of arbitrators. Let's explore each more specifically. As for lack of consistency, coherence, and correctness of interpretation of legal issues, critics point out that different tribunals reach different conclusions about the same standard in the same investment treaty or about the same procedural issues, including where the facts were very similar. And also the arbitral tribunals organized under different investment treaties have reached different conclusions about disputes involving the same measure, related parties and similar treaty standards and or applicable legal rules. And finally, that arbitral tribunals organized under different investment treaties or the same investment treaty have dealt with disputes involving unrelated parties but similar facts and have reached opposite interpretation of the applicable legal rules. In terms of increasing costs and criticisms related to the duration of the proceedings, Concerns relate to the length of proceedings, where the length of proceedings has increased substantially and bifurcation of procedure has become more common, as cases also become more complex. Other concerns relate to emergencies and expedite proceedings when they are available. In terms of cost, critics highlight the uncertainty related to the allocation of cost and difficulties in obtaining security for cost, especially by claimant. They also highlight the phenomenon of third party funding, whereby claimants' case is funded by a third party and underline their concern that this might result in increased frivolous claims, which can be still very, be very costly to defend by the state. The third reason for criticism relates to adjudicators, and specifically to the lack of diversity among adjudicators, both in terms of the absence of gender diversity and also because of the lack of geographical diversity. In Lecture 3, I mentioned some statistics on this, which give support to this concern. In fact, with state-appointment arbitrators still mostly Western European and North American, despite cases coming from all over the world, statistics say 46% are Western European and 20% are North American, and the terrible lack of gender diversity, with 86% of appointed arbitrators being men and only 14% of arbitrators being women. Critics and experts also underscore the possible lack of independence, impartiality and neutrality of arbitrators, and focus on the lack of a common ethics code, which specifically provide common standards of behaviour for the heterogeneous group of people that decide ISVS cases, and who can come from many different countries and be educated in different legal systems. They also highlight the phenomenon of double doubleheading, by which an arbitrator may serve concurrently in other ISVS cases and the risk of repeat appointments, especially when those come from the same party or council. Consequences of backlash have been of two kinds. On one side, some few states have chosen to exit the system. Termination of BITs with ISDS clauses, for example Ecuador, Indonesia, South Africa. Or withdrew from exit convention altogether, Bolivia, Ecuador and Venezuela did and Argentina, El Salvador, and Nicaragua threatened to do so, although Ecuador rejoined in 2021. Most states and stakeholders have focused on reform and reforming the system to respond to the criticism and to the new dynamics of foreign investment. One can divide these efforts of reform in two large groups. On one side, incremental reforms, and on the other side, systemic reform that really take the system uh, uh, altogether, Incremental reforms include the negotiation and conclusion of new treaties. These include, for example, the US-Mexico-Canada agreement, the USMCA, which limits the use of ISDS. Also the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP, which includes ISDS but also have an opt-out clause. New treaties like the CPTPP and CHORUS between Korea and the US also include a code of conduct for arbitrators, include rules on multiple proceedings, early dismissal of frivolous claims, and non-disputing party submissions, and also include a procedure for joint interpretations of the treaty. Other countries have developed new models for BITs. These, for example, include the Netherlands, and the new Dutch BIT also include obligations for investors. Similarly, India, the new model for India, with the ISDS, include ISDS, but is conditioned on the use of domestic costs for at least five years. The ECT, the Energy Charter Treaty, is also undertaking a reform process. Important incremental reform uh, processes are also taking place in international arbitral institutions. Importantly, for example, ICSID has very recently engaged in, in a substantive rules amendment project, which culminated in an amendment set of rules has been approved in march 2022 the overarching goals of the rules amendment was to modernize simplify and streamline the rules while also leveraging information technology to reduce the environmental footprint of exit proceedings and I, and I quote it here the website the process drew on the lessons learned from under hundreds hundreds of exit cases and resulted in the approval of new rules for the exit convention exit additional facility and new rules for fact-finding and mediation which, among many other things, shortened many of the deadlines and introduced faster arbitration processes, increased transparency, for example, by requiring disclosure of third-party finding, funding, and also opened the process to international economic organizations such as the European Union. This was a culmination of a five-year consultative process on updating the ICSI rules for arbitration, conciliation, and fact-finding. We have also seen some self-regulation by arbitrators and other institutions. For example, the International Court of Justice has barred ICJ judges to take on new ISDS cases. A second set of reform proposals focus more on systemic reform of ISDS. Chiefly, CETA, the agreement between Canada and the European Union provides for a multilateral investment court system to be created, where private investors retain standing to file claims directly against the state. CETA courts include a first instance and an appeal and judges, permanent judges, serve fixed terms and are paid regular regular salary. They are then selected at random to sit in specific cases. Under CETA, judges cannot serve as counsel or arbitrators in other cases. Other states have also proposed the introduction of an appeal system and possibly an appeal court which will ensure or consistency of awards. Other states have proposed the introduction of BITs with no ISDS and should rely instead in the domestic court of the host state. An important reform process is presently underway at Ancetral. indeed. In response to call for reform, Ansaral granted Working Group 3 in July 2017 a mandate to first identify and consider concerns relating to ISDS, and two to consider whether reform was desirable in light of any identified concern, and three if the working group were to conclude that the reform was desirable, develop any relevant solutions to be recommended to the Commission. In 2017 and 18, working groups concluded the phase 1, and highlighted issues of concern. In Vienna, in November 2018, the consensus was reached on the the desirability for exit reforms. The ancestral working group 3 reform process is substantial and relates to many elements of ISDS. More specifically, it is looking at 7 potential elements of reform. The first group focuses on tribunals, ad hoc and standard multilateral mechanism. Working Group 3 is exploring the possibility of establishing a multilateral advisory centre and possibly modelled from the WTA, WTO Advisory Center. It is also exploring the possibility of creation and the feasibility of establishing a standalone review or appellate mechanism, or possibly a standing first instance and an appeal investment court with full-time judges. Proposals for these institutional changes have been drafted and have already been discussed by Working Group 3 members. The second element of reform focuses on arbitrators and adjudicators. their appointment methods and ethics. More specifically, it is exploring reform and ISDS tribunal member selection appointment and challenges and a new code of conduct for adjudicators, which is also likely going to be introduced. The third element of reform focuses on third parties' involvement and control mechanisms on treaty interpretation. The fourth element of reform focuses on dispute prevention and mitigation, and specifically on strengthening of dispute settlement mechanisms other than arbitration, for example, ombudsman or mediation. The exhaustion of local remedies and procedure to address frivolous claims, including summary dismissal and how to address multiple proceedings, reflective loss, and counterclaims by respondent states. The fifth element of reform studies cost, cost management and related procedures, including expedite procedures and principles and guidelines on allocating cost and security for cost. The sixth element of reform addresses third-party funding. And finally, a seventh stream of reform explores how to address the implementation of this reform and potentially the introduction of a multilateral instrument on ISDS reform. Indeed, Working Group 3 on Investor-State Dispute Settlement Reform is meeting in its 43rd session in Vienna at this very moment, as I am recording these lectures, to specifically address topics of reform, including, specifically for this session, the creation of an advisory center on international investment law, the establishment of a multilateral instrument to implement ISDS reform options, and procedural rules reform including the regulation of third-party funding, damages and calculation of compensation, as well as identification of other procedural rules and cross-cutting issues to be addressed in future sessions. It will also discuss the draft provisions on mediation and the draft guidelines. Importantly, Board Group 3 will also undertake the second reading of the Code of Conduct for Adjudicators, which is probably the most significant reform proposal who seems to be ripe for approval. The draft code of conduct for adjudicator is a very important instrument. It will clarify the ethical responsibilities for all adjudicators, and this is by itself important because what applies may now be, may now be different for different adjudicators. And second, it will also, and very importantly also, provide specific rules to regulate multiple role, roles, or double heading, and specify when and how it is possible or conversely prohibited. It will define in detail the duty of disclosure and what needs to be disclosed. It also articulates more clearly the meaning of the duty of impartiality and independence. Its approval will be, in other words, a very important development and a welcome reform of ISDS. The work of Working Group 3 is continuing and is scheduled to take several years to be completed. It is an important project. They may have the ability to respond to the criticisms And create a more modern system capable, for example, to respond to challenges and changes brought by COVID-19 or other challenges. Importantly, meetings of Working Group 3 include both state representatives and stakeholder representatives come from NGOs, learned societies and business groups, which make it a very inclusive forum for discussion. It will be interesting to see in a couple of years the result of this reform process. This concludes my fourth and final lecture. Thank you for your attention to these lectures. I hope they were, they were useful in providing an appreciation and a knowledge of a field of international law, IIL, of growing importance. Thank you, and bye bye.